Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. There are millions of singers, thousands of artists, and only 40 songs per genre at a time. These are the stories of the hottest creatives, the most venerable legends, artists, songwriters, executives, and more. Come join our Discord, follow our socials, and share your music with the And The Writer Is community. We'll see you all there, and now, here's this week's episode. Welcome to And The Update Is. I am your host, Paige MacDonald, and this is your weekly music industry update. Swedish House Mafia sold master recordings and publishing catalogs to Pop House. Universal Music Group has introduced a policy that will see unrecouped balances disregarded for eligible catalog songwriters and artists on its books. BMG's annual revenues grew 10.1% to $784 million in 2021. After raising $34 million, the music funding platform BeatBread has launched a new artist advocacy council. Warner Chapel and Unknown Music Publishing have signed a global deal with country singer Sophia Scott. Capitol Records has launched a new dance label called Lift Me Up. UMPG UK has promoted Danny Sawyer to A&R Director. Partisan Records has launched a new music publishing division called Left Music. Creating Vision has appointed Nick Raphael to Executive Advisor to A&R Focus Group. Warner Chapel Music has signed a worldwide publishing deal with Juan Pablo Isaza and Juan Pablo Villamil. Red Hot Chili Peppers have received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Universal Music Publishing Group has entered into a strategic alliance with audio content production studio Audio Up. Zach Katz, the former president of BMG in the US and co-founder of Scooter Braun's Raised in Space, has quietly launched a new venture in music. U.S. rapper Trippy Red has signed a long-term deal with independent record label 10K Projects. Taryn Smith has been promoted to senior manager at talent management firm YMU's U.S. Music Division. Sony Music Group and GLAAD, which is the world's largest LGBTQ media advocacy organization, have entered into a partnership to advance LGBTQ representation in music and amplify LGBTQ voices in the industry. Stinger, which is a platform offering pre-cleared music for games and the metaverse, has entered into a partnership with Warner Music Group. Manager Logan Carnes has launched Camp, which is a new artist management company based in Toronto. 
New electronic dance music label Helix Records has launched alongside a global strategic alliance with Warner Music and ADA. Noah Guy has signed with 10K Projects. We are extremely saddened by the loss of two incredible individuals. The Wanted star Tom Parker has died at the age of 33, and legendary drummer of Foo Fighters Taylor Hawkins passed away at the age of 50. Foo Fighters have since canceled their tour dates. A big thank you to Haley Evans of Mega House for gathering today's news. Now stay tuned for this week's episode of And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's rising star has taken the world by storm after her first single went bonkers viral, like crazy, crazy viral. On TikTok, users have made over 1.5 million videos to her track. On Spotify, she found herself number one in the global chart, has amassed over 30 million monthly listeners, and has earned close to 1 billion streams. On radio, the song hit number one on Top 40. She topped the Global 200 chart on Billboard. Why? All from her first (laughs) single, and she's only 17. Taken under the wing of previous, and the writer is guest Cara Diaguardi and friend of the podcast Pete Gambark. I can say with certainty that this artist formula spells success. (laughs) And the writer is Gail. Ah, oh my gosh. Hi, hello. Hi, um, I am, I hate myself for the last line. (laughs) <laughs> about the, the artist formula spells success, but if I, it, the dad in me was just like, you must you can help yourself. Yeah, you has, had to do it. Ha, have you had an interview where somebody hasn't made that joke? Actually, there's been there's managed to be like one or two interviews where spelling metaphors haven't haven't made it. I feel like specifically for this moment, it was kind of necessary and needed for just the overall theme. Um, and I respect yeah. it. I respect it. Yeah, you got to do it. Um, okay, uh, you know, there's uh, the biography as far as like timeline isn't isn't incredibly long, <laughs> but, but what you have that I think um, uh, of the 150 plus episodes we've done, I don't think that there's another artist or writer who really is. Um, is in this has made this generation work so well, and so I, I have so many questions for you. But I want to just give a little background. Uh, uh, you were you were born. I was born at one point. Crazy. Okay. Right. Cool. Yeah. So my assumption <laughs> is you had a, a mother involved in that. I my mother was involved in that. I was born in Dallas, Texas. Um, okay. I was there for, gosh, I was there. I moved to Nashville when I was 12 and I started going back and forth, um, when I was 10 and I started singing when I was around seven and I just kind of like woke up one day and just kind of like knew that I wanted to do music. Like it was weird. I was in class and there's, they're talking about, um, scatting and I believe that Ella Fitzgerald pulled up and we saw a video of her scatting and I came home and I just would not stop doing that. Like I was just, I was obsessed with it and I was doing it all around the house. And my mother just randomly had her seven-year-old daughter come home scatting. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm scatting, you know? 
And then she was like, I need to show you other forms of music because you're just literally doing that all day. And it's okay if you do that, but you need to know that there's options <laughs> of what you could be singing. And so then she showed me, she showed me a lot of artists that day. She showed me Nina Simone and Josh Stone, but honestly, like the most formative person, I feel like for me personally, is that she showed me Aretha Franklin. And it was probably around like a 30 minute compilation of Aretha. And I just remember being like entranced by her. Like, I think I had a, a career day, like a week or two before. I don't know why it made me like think about my career because I was literally just like, that is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be Ruth Franco when I grow up. <laughs> and, and you were, you were, you were seven years old feeling that. Yeah, like you know that thing. Like who teaches you in in class at seven seven years old? I imagine most of it is you know the wheels on the bus, yeah. go round and round. But not necessarily this is scatting. What kind of school were you in where they where a teacher, you know, says let me show you the the godmother of jazz. You know, I went, I went to honestly, like the music program even ended up getting like cut in my school. So like, it wasn't even that it was like, music was like highly appreciated in the school. It's just like, she always taught us interesting things. Like I remember when I learned about harmonies and like she showed it all on a piano and like, it just blew my brain as like a young child that I was like, whoa. Um, and even with like singing, she would just show us like different singers and like, even like just predominantly like I'm going to show you the mother of soul and all of that. And um, not even like the queen of soul. We're going to start from like the way, way beginning and like go from there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I. Do you know then, the name? Do you remember the name of that teacher? Oh, gosh, I wish I did. I actually have emailed her recently just being like, thank you for showing yeah. the music because like. I, I just really like instantly fell in love with it. And she was like such a good teacher. Like she was so nice. Um, but then she moved and it made me sad. <laughs> and then I got homeschooled. So it just kind of like all went downhill from there. Um, but yeah. it was a very like important class to me. Why did you get homeschooled? I got homeschooled. It was like a combination of things. I just could not get along with the kids there. Like it was one of those things where like, it was just, I, my brother, I was always like the difficult child in school. Like I love him to death and he's so smart, but like the teachers hated him. It was like his job to make them the living hell. And I'm the little sister. So of course I come in being like, I'm his little sister. And then all the teachers are like, you don't like you. You keep it an eye out for you. And then also I just like, just could not get along like I remember we used to do singing competitions and I would do like feeling good by Nina Simone and everyone would boo at me and it would just like make me sad and like I just I just couldn't get along with those kids or I would one day and then the next I wouldn't and I really really wanted to do music and from the ages of seven to ten like I was just continuously doing things to prove to like one myself and my family that like I actually really wanted to do music like when I was like seven or eight I got a toy guitar and I didn't actually get a guitar until I was nine till I could so I can actually like know and prove that I want to learn how to play guitar and I know how to play guitar before I like got one or even like I did um 15 minute sets at places and then I did the 30 minute sets then I had an hour and acoustic set and mixed in with original songs and doing covers by the time I was 10 and I was like I did something like 90 gigs in six months or something like that like I was just like a maniac because I just loved it so much 
And I just kept doing things to prove to my mom that I wanted to do music. And so it just kind of worked out for her to homeschool me. And I started going to Nashville. And um, she also had a job that was like able for her to be flexible and she worked from home. So it just kind of worked out perfectly for us to start going to Nashville once a month. Um, a few questions. One is how much of your drive is to prove, you said yourself and your family, but how much of it is to prove the people who booed <laughs> after you performed Nina Simone? That does actually have, I wouldn't say it has like a huge part, but I really do feel like that is also particularly why I stuck to it, especially at such a young age when like doing music is not necessarily like the easiest thing. And it's also like, you have no idea what you're doing. Like, like, especially when you come to Nashville, there's no like handbook of like, this is what you do when you come to Nashville. It's like, you're just kind of like meeting random strangers and you're like, hey, Let's sit in a room together with guitars and see if we come up with something. By the way, I'm 10. <laughs> like, or even like writers around. It's like, you don't know what you're doing. And so I, I definitely, there's quite a few people, especially like Texas wise, us going to Nashville was not supportive of it. Even like family wise, like it just was not an easy transition for my family to make. And I think also one of the reasons why we stuck through those difficulties, because it was like, oh, you're telling us we can't do it. Are you telling us we shouldn't do it? Mm, we're going to do it. You know, like that even just kind of added more to us doing it or sticking to it. Cause like even at times where it's like, it's not always easiest. And I'm like, especially when I was younger, like more of like 12, 13 ish when I was like, I've only like quit music for like five minutes, maybe twice. And that was when I was like 12 mm. or 13. And that's, and I would think about the people that I would like hear, like uh, would just like see me quit. And I was like, no. Like, I'm just, no, like, I'm not, like, I can't, I'm not going to prove all those people right. And then also, like, what else am I going to do with my life and be happy with? Really? If it's not music? Yeah, like <laughs> this is a, this is going to be a lifelong battle. Um, I, I think a lot of musicians can relate to um, giving up a, a number of times, a number of ways. And the hard, the hardest thing is that the people who are supportive of you... Make it almost impossible to quit. If you mm-hmm. have, like, you know, it's not the people who, it's not proving necessarily the people wrong, the, the ones that say, like, oh, you'll never make it. That's one thing. It's the people who are supportive of them, like, I can't let them down. Like, I have to keep going. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Yeah. Especially, like, when my whole family, like, my mom, my brother, and I, when we moved to Nashville, I was like, you know what, I'm going to like try really, I, not that I wasn't before, but I was just like, I really want this to work out because my mother just like uprooted her life for me, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to try very hard to make this worth it for her, you know. Can I ask, um, did you have any f- father presence? I like, I did at one point, like my, I had a step, my parents got divorced when I was like three and then I had a stepdad from actually no my parents got divorced when I was two and then I had a stepdad from the ages of like three to 13 and I moved to Nashville around 12 so I can't remember if it was like a year year and a half that he lived in the house with us um and then kind of very quickly after that like it just was a situation where like he's a great dude but he's not particularly like a father figure to me anymore and even at the time he wasn't particularly that um and so and then my bio dad like he just He's a focus on himself, which is great. I love that for him. Like he's 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 having his own time, and like that's great. And my mother just was always able to kind of like 
do both roles and I'm very like grateful for her because that was not something that was like easy for her I know yeah um moms deserve all of the everything yeah um yeah when what makes you there's a difference between I'm a fan of music especially if you're into jazz and soul and R&B which is you know it's it's cool but it doesn't it's it certainly doesn't fit sort of what I would think your um I guess your uh I don't know influencers would be for yeah. for you and there's a huge difference between listening to those that kind of music and then writing music on acoustic guitar even if you wrote on acoustic guitar, you know there are artists like Lauren Hill or India Ree or all these people who can mm-hmm. her her these people who play guitar and whose influences. If I listen to her, I'd be like, oh well, I would list all the people you just named. Yeah, listening to the songs you've written, I don't know that I would think those are the people who inspired you to write. They might inspire yeah. you to do music. Who inspired you to write? It's a good, you know, it's funny. I remember the first time I kind of realized that a song had to be written. Like, I remember it, like, I never sat and really thought about it. I never thought about the fact that people had to, like, write a song and then get production on it. And, like, things get put onto the radio. Like, they don't just, like, appear. Like, songs don't appear out of nowhere. Like, I remember me when I first started singing and just started doing music. Like, it just, like, hit me. And I was listening to a Nicki Minaj song. And I wish I knew which Nicki Minaj, but it was playing on the radio. And like, I just remember it hit me because I was like, people wrote that. Like people made that. Like people had, I think it was, I think it was the, I forget which one, but it was one that had the Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars in it. I think that's the one that like really the, da 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 But like, it was just all of that, like together. I was like, wait, people made this. Like people like took that, put that in parts of songs. This is something that happened oh man and then I came home and I tried to write a song and then I was like why is that not as good (laughs) I'm so mad I was like what do you mean I didn't just write a hit song in the first song that I wrote like what's what's up with that what was what was that first song Uh, it was oh gosh I think there's a couple like the first song I kind of ever wrote that I didn't even like try and sit down and write was a song called the bat song it's really unfortunate because, like, my I had a very like southern teacher, and I believe this was like pre K type type beat. Is that like I um, I said the word cuss, and then my teacher was like, "Oh, honey, that's a bad word," because she meant bad word. But then, like, because she was so southern, like, she was just like, "Oh, honey, that's a yeah. bad word." So then I took that as bat word, and so then I came home and I was like, "Cuss, cuss." Bats are very spooky. Cuss, cuss. Bats are very spooky. It was so bad. It was so bad. And then the song I tried to go home and write after listening to that song was like a summer love song, even though I had no idea what that was like in any sense or shape or form. I was just like, summer love, summer love. And then I remember I didn't know how to finish the song. So I decided to be real transparent and vulnerable with my audience and say, I don't know how to finish the song. Goodbye. You know, which is one way to end a song is say it just sure. say you don't know how to end I it. I mean, <laughs> how many times have you been in a session where it's like you're done with the verse and you're, you know, you just kind of feel like ending it? So I mean, sure, yeah. why not? Might as well just, just say I feel like ending this song. It's done now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah, exactly. Um, when you, how did you start 
realizing that you were pretty good. Like you're doing all these shows, but there's a difference between doing shows and I'm going to move to Nashville. It's funny because I never moved to Nashville because I thought I was good. I moved to Nashville to get better. It was never like, oh, I'm good enough to move to Nashville. It was like, no, I'm not good enough. So I'm going to move to Nashville. You know? Cool. Like, yeah. I really wanted to like work on my craft as a performer. I started music really in the love of performance. Like I loved performing for people. And then I was kind of told and figured like I'd be better, a better performer if I could like play guitar. And so then I learned guitar and then it was like, you'd be a better performer and artist if you wrote your own song. So then I started writing my own songs. And then that also transformed. Like I then fell in love with songwriting, like just the art of like songwriting and even collaboration. And then that was really huge in Nashville, like co-writing and that. I feel like there's such a, not that it isn't in LA, but it's just like the collaborative culture of like literally meeting a random stranger at a bar do it with rounds and being like, yo, let's write a song together. Like that. And there's not even like always necessarily the pressure for it to be a hit song, for it to be the best thing we've ever written. It's just like, no, let's put our heads together and like write a song. Like what is the best song that we could write in this moment? You're not even allowed in bars. How I'm is not. it that you did these? How how did you do writers rounds where people would take you seriously? Oh, people did not take me seriously. For I mean, some people still don't take me seriously, which I'm, I'm good with. But um, I, my mom was always with me, like always. I would never go, really go to a bar alone. And then most of the time, if you have a guitar on your back, they'll let you in. Like if you just walk in and you're like, "Oh, I'm playing," they're like, "Okay." Like they'll put X's on my hand always, but they're like. Okay, all right. Um, and then most of the time, like, I'll, I would just like reach out to people on Instagram or there's like the Facebook front, like the Facebook circles of people who book rounds and like, I would just reach out to them. They'd have a scheduled time for me to play and then I'd just show up and they'd let me play. And most of the time they'd let me stick around at least for like an hour or two, which is always really nice. So I can like, cause there's always like, I feel like it's an unspoken rule, but it's definitely like a thing in Nashville where like you don't just go to your round. You either go to the round before you and you stay all the way through or you stay for the round after you or you do both, especially when you're like just starting. You should probably do both just to be polite and also just to meet people, you know. And so I also did that as well. And that was like very nice. But also some places would not let me <laughs> or like some places. Like- that's a that's a that's a really sophisticated respect that I know very few people have regardless of you know, where they are in their career. Where did you learn that kind of respect? Or was that, like, where does that come from? I think, I don't know, like, a lot of it, too, is, like, I was always a kid. Like, I was always 10 in Nashville. I was always 11. I was always 12. I was always 13. And, like, there wasn't particularly, like, there's there's definitely young kids in Nashville, 100%, but it, there wasn't necessarily a lot. Like, there's max, like, four to five kids, and you wouldn't necessarily all be together in the same day. And so because of that, like, I was always surrounded by adults and I just always knew to like be polite and respectful towards adults, especially when you're like the child who has like no respect. And like, especially when people are disrespectful, specifically that were like just disrespectful to me, you're just like not respecting the fact that I do music. And I would, I, I would understand it because I was like so little doing it. It was just that I always knew, I guess my goal is to counteract it with respect and just being polite. And I also feel like in Nashville, respect and politeness is something that's like really just respected like if you're just polite and nice to somebody and respect their time and who they are and what they do in their craft they're more likely to do that for you you know and like 
even if you're hard to work with, nobody's going to really want to work with you. Even if you're talented, like if it's just, if you're difficult, you're difficult, you know? And like, I just never wanted to be that. When, when you moved to Nashville, and this is an aside and I want to go back, but how did your brother deal with that? Cause he, does <laughs> yeah. he want it? Did he want to be a musician? I mean, he's older than you. And then you guys mm-hmm. moved to Nashville really because of your desire. It seems mm-hmm. how did, how did he deal with that? He dealt with a lot of health issues growing up. Like he just had a lot of mental health things that just got put onto him that he personally had to deal with. Um, and so at one point he actually was in boarding school and it wasn't even like, anything bad it's just that like with my mother like he needed an authority figure and I think specifically a male authority figure that he could respect and like there just wasn't that in her household and so it was either like my mother having to like fight with him every single day for her to try and respect her and ruin almost like ruin the relationship or just make the like son mother bond like just so much harder or could just send him to an all-boys boarding school for I think he was there for like a year and a half and it honestly like completely changed him as a person and just made him more like respectful and understand authority and like understand the reasons why he gets asked to do things especially like social cues just got like wasn't necessarily always the easiest thing for him so he just needed to have like a very social environment that like us as a family just couldn't particularly give him at the time and so what we would actually do is like we'd be in Texas and then he was in Arkansas and we were in Nashville and so we'd go to Arkansas visit him, go to Nashville, be there, go back to Arkansas, maybe see him and then come back. Like we would always see him as much as we could. Um, and so when he, when we, he moved back, he was a freshman in high school and he just left boarding school. So he was so excited. Like he was like, I'm out, you know? And, um, we then like put him, he was in high school and we just put him on the football team as a freshman, just walking in. Cause we're like, maybe this will make him friends. Like, let's see how this works. And it actually like, it honestly worked out great for him. Like he, he recently started being supportive of music. Like I would say that's something that happened like 10 months ago. Like it was a little bit before I put out ABC. Like I remember he walked into my room and he was like, your music doesn't suck all the time. And then just walked out. <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right, I'll take it. And like, you yeah, made it. <laughs> I did it. No, like one thing I like, one thing that made me be like, you know what? Maybe ABCDEFU, like, can do something. Like, maybe people aren't going to think it's, like, totally stupid because my brother doesn't think it's stupid. So that's something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. You said that there are still people who don't respect you. And then you said, but I don't care about what they think, which is fine. But why don't people, like, what, what do you think their hang-up is? I think... Some of it can be, one, just, like, assumptions. Like, assumptions of, like, I don't write my own songs, even if, like, I just, like, put my name on them. Or, like, I could I could tell you a million things, or even just that, like, some... And I, and I understand it. Like, some people think that I just, like, started doing music a year or two ago, which is, like, totally fine. Like, I'm cool with people having that assumption with, of me. But I've been in Nashville for almost eight years, you know? And, like, I've been really doing music or attempting to do it professionally like been trying to do this for 10 years you know and I'm not necessarily saying all of that was like good productive work for music like but I've I've been really trying to pursue this for a a minute and like I'm so good for to keep continuing to try and do this for a minute but it's like sometimes people just think I like started doing music 
like a year or two ago, or that I particularly like got things handed to me. Or I remember people were just be like, well, you had connections. And it's like, but I made them over years and years. Like I just met people and like nobody like, or I've had people tell me that my dad's a marketing executive and I'll be like, go to my home, yell out for my dad. Nobody will come. <laughs> like try, like, come on, you know, like it's, it's funny and it's all good. But like, if you're going to try and like is, undermine it, me or undervalue my work, like, come on. It's weird. I, I One, I think m- more women pop artists and not to lump you in pop, but the success of the first song being in that realm. Most w- women who are successful write their music compared to most of the men I know who are successful in pop. If we named most of the biggest male artists, a lot of them do not drive their music. And yet mm-hmm. I know most of the women do. And that's one of the most misogynistic things that our culture has put on to our industry is that the women are puppets and the men are somehow creating the music from scratch. Um, we, we know of pop male artists who, who've topped the Billboard songwriter charts who cannot write a song. And we know women who are, who have, you know, top five Billboard Hot 100 songs that don't get the credit they deserve, and there's somehow excuses. Lump that into. I'm sorry, this is not to get on like a soapbox, but oh, you're you know, I I work with um, uh, Kenzie. I don't know if you know Kenzie is, and Kenzie's 17 years old. She's brilliant, Mm -hmm. really good songwriter, and you know, I've seen her be part of other communities in the past where they thought, well, she should be this kind of artist, she should be that. And they never listened to her because they never thought like, oh, a 17-year-old woman has a point of view that we should support rather than, you know, well, let me let me mansplain what kind of music you should do and yeah. then force you to release that. You know, I I feel like our industry doesn't recognize when there are artists like Julia Michaels who who were who was in it super young. You know, the people like you where you have more experience than somebody who's 25 who started writing when they were a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, you have more experience than any of those people and and they don't and I think that the industry as a whole doesn't take a step back and recognize that somebody who's been focused on it for 10 years, regardless if they're 17 or they're 27, you know, it's still 10 years of going through the hustle. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's probably how I should have closed this podcast, but instead we're still going. <laughs> okay. Um, you went from, you know, I'm going to songwriter rounds to meeting, uh, our mutual good friend Cara Diaguardi. So explain yes. how you meet, you know, there there are very few people in the industry who can claim as many hit writers that they've discovered like Kara. How did you meet Kara? Well, so I met her I was I was 14 at the time and NSA I was throwing this event. I believe it was with Kara um, where 40 people go and 20 get to sing. And so I, my mom ended up signing me up for it. And I remember I was like in the middle of my right and my mom came downstairs and I was like, mom, it's not 
what are you doing? You know, I was like embarrassed. And then she was like, I signed you up for this thing and you got it. It's for Cara Diacordi. Cause like she has seen her on Idol. She was so excited. And like, I knew who she was. And so I was like, oh, that's awesome. And so then I go and um, I literally walked in and I like wrote my name down and I put it in a hat and then um, everybody showed up. And then I think I was like the sixth or seventh person that got um, picked from the hat. And I remember I didn't know whether to do country song or not. Cause I, I've written country music before and like I've actually done, I've started out in country music. And so I was like, do I do that? Or do I do this like pop song I just wrote? But it also it was unfinished. Like it wasn't like fully done yet. And I just very last minute decided to do the pop one. And it was the worst performance I've ever given in my life. Like it was absolutely terrible. I was pitchy, I was enunciating. Like I was also, I'm pretty sure I was sick as well back when it was like socially acceptable to go to places when you're sick. And now <laughs> I definitely know better. Um, but I just remember thinking like, oh God, that was like terrible. And, um, and I co-wrote that song with a friend of mine and she was 15 at the time and I was 14. And um, I just remember like Kara was like really surprised that I wrote that with somebody else that was also like really young. Um, and then, cause I remember also cause somebody else was critiquing too. And I was like, they're like, did you co-write that? And I was like, yeah. And then they're like, oh, like, okay. You know, cause like, oh, you co-wrote that, you know? And then I was like, yeah, she was 15. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> you know? Um, and then- Yeah, th- yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, because they were also, like, I understood if I was like, oh, I wrote that with somebody who was, like, 35. And then they're like, oh. And I was like, no, like, she's 15. Um, And then I went home, and I was like, that was so terrible. She's never going to talk to me again. I remember thinking, I was like, I can't wait to run into her at a Whole Foods in, like, five years. And for her to pretend like she remembers who I am. But I know that she doesn't. But I'm just going to act like she does know who I am. And I'm like, Kara. And she'll be like, oh, hi. So good to see you. Um, but she ended up emailing NSAI for my contact information. NSAI reached out to my mom and then she told me to, she set, set up a meeting and then she told me to bring my favorite co-writer. And so I ended up bringing Sarah Davis, who I wrote ABCDEFU with actually. That's so crazy. I mean, Kara's, uh, she's, she's maybe the most impressive ear that in the last 20 years, if you look at the people that she's helped open doors for. And in this segment, what would Cara Diaguardi ask Gail on And the Writer is? She asks, I'd, she, she says, um, I'd ask her if she considers herself a rock chick and what that means to her. Oh my God, of course she would ask me that question. That's so funny. I'm not even lying. When I first met Cara, I was like, I am the chain smokers. That is me. I am one with them. I am EDM music. That is me. I am that. Like I was hell bent set on it because I loved like the Chainsmokers. One thing I really. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Absolutely adored about their music is the catchiness of it. Like it was just so hooky and it was just so big. Like everything had like such a huge moment and it was just so catchy. And then Kara would look at me and she'd be like, mm, you're going to do like rock. And I was like, no, I am Chainsmokers. They are me. Like, what are we, what are we talking about? She's like, mm, you have an edge. And I was like, I do not have an edge. Proceeds to cut hair, pierce nose. I do not. And then like, I literally, she never even like, I literally don't know how she like guessed that I would even just like get inspired by that. Like, I, I literally could not tell you, like, Kara has this way of seeing you before you see yourself and like, but also not making you into that. Like she gave me the room to roll into that myself. But the fact that she even knew I would even like do that is what blows my mind. Um, and she asked that question just so she can like prove that she's right. Um, and, you know, it's like, I, I don't, it's one of those things where like genre rise, I feel like there's so many arguments that lead to if you're like i'm this genre or i'm this and then it's like well technically this is known for this so when you say you're doing this you're actually doing that like there's so many arguments so i would 100 percent say i'm inspired by rocker chicks and like that is something that like i really love to be inspired by and like i wouldn't necessarily say i'm a rocker chick because i feel like that just like puts me in a place that like if I stray from or if I don't do something exactly like that like it's not necessarily that but I definitely would say that I'm inspired by that and I really try and like have that specifically in my music and my live shows like when you think rocker chick are you thinking Courtney Love or Phoebe are you thinking like you know old school kind of kind of you I know think, all yeah rock I think more like people, Joan Jett, Alanis, Stevie you know, even blondie, like I'm wearing a blondie shirt, like that is more of the vibe that I'm thinking. But even like Phoebe, thinking of like the newer. She's great. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, what I'm thinking, I'm thinking more of like the, for me, what I would consider like the classic badass women, female rockers, but also like the ones that are coming now and even like five to 10 years ago that are just so prevalent still to today. Um so, I yeah. mean, we, another thing about women in music right now, and and I hope people are paying attention that women have brought back instruments. Women are the ones who brought guitars back into pop music. They've you know they've brought a grit back to pop music. They you know when when the Grammys, well, I think it was last year, all five of the. Um, artists in the alternative uh, alternative category were all women. Like mm-hmm. women are the the more progressive uh, rock musicians right now, and 
you take Travis Barker out of everything that he's featured on, and it's there's the entire list are all the amazingly progressive, strong women in music right now, and I, I just hope that people are noticing how what this movement that that you're now a part of. You know, it's it's really cool. It's fun to watch. It's, yeah, I mean, thank you. It's it's very exciting. I'm very excited to watch that progression of music be happening like right in front of my eyes and face. Like it's really exciting. Well, yeah, especially because you know when you're gonna you're on these I'm sure radio shows or live shows and stuff, and you're gonna look to your left and look to your right, and then there's you know it's not you're not gonna be the only female on that mm-hmm. bill. You know it's it's a it. I love that. Um, how did you get involved? You know. Kara's your publisher and part label uh, person, yes. along with Atlantic Records. Tell me about what it was like to, you know, it's one thing when you go, you, you Kara calls you, you have meetings with Kara, she gives you this room, you guys are feeling comfortable because it's a big step, but I'm sure the goal is to get this record deal. Tell me yeah. about what it's like to sign to not just a record company, but Atlantic Records. I've personally wanted to be with Atlantic since I was 12. It's just something. Why? Why? It was because it was Aretha Franklin. Like Aretha Franklin was signed to Atlantic. And then later on, I want to say I was more like 15 ish when Lizzo's album came out. And she was also with Atlantic. And I just like, one, I loved Lizzo. And something that I really was inspired by with her and other people like other artists have done this but this was the first time I really like noticed it and it was like she was coming from this perspective of such confidence that was just so like interesting to me especially as like a young female watching Lizzo like just come out and be like I'm great and like you're not appreciating my greatness and that's a problem like she still had like problems and she was still dealing with things but she was still like in this positive place of like, I am good, you know, like I am these things and this is not negative, but it still things happen. And that was just so interesting to me because I also had never really done that. I've never like came from this place of like confidence lyrically. And, um, but with Atlantic, I, I funny enough, never really like, I told Kara, like, I really want to sign with Atlantic one day. And like, I, I was also just very like, had face focus first because first split second I was like maybe I don't want to publish a deal I want a record deal and I'm like that's not how it works you kind of need to do like it kind of helps if you do one before the other and especially like as a 14 year old the major label wasn't necessarily going to be like here's a record deal you know um and so I signed with Kara and it was like a development deal on the writer and artist side and one thing I'm really appreciative that Kara did was just like do what inspires you like take Take all the things that you want to do and do it. Just do that. And I did that, honestly, for a solid, like, year and a half, almost two years, where I just, like, anything I wanted to write, I just did. You know, anything I found inspiring musically, like, I just, like, let inspire me. I wasn't specifically tied to one genre. I wasn't tied to one type of artistry. Like, I was just doing what I liked. And then I was also writing for other artists at the same time and, like, it just consistencies kind of started happening. Like if you're doing the things that you like, eventually what you like starts kind of getting consistent. And then also figuring out like 
how to be consistent without sounding exactly the same or all of that too. And she was sending my music to Atlantic and I knew that. Like they're like always listening to my stuff or sometimes I'd be like, do you like this song? Like, hey, like, how you doing? Like, you like this song? <laughs> like, huh? And then um, I remember I had a song called Z that came out in 2020 and it actually, I wouldn't necessarily call it viral but it had a moment in South Korea. Like it was just, and it was very, it was very isolated, but it had like a spike and with like no money, no marketing, nothing. Like this video just got reposted of me and all of the lyrics and everything I was saying was got translated into Korean. And um, literally it just got, I don't remember how many views, but it was something where I was like, in six months, it got like 600 like, to 700,000 views and specifically like one area. And I think Atlantic was able to see with no marketing, no money put behind anything that like people positively reacted to my music. Um, and especially like it was a song about making fun of Gen Z because I think it was funny to make fun of the way people make fun of Gen Z, you know. Um, and so I that ended up had them feel like inspired to put a deal on the table which, um, and the deal, it, the deal t- kind of took a little bit just because also I was a minor and the deal was out in New York and I was in Nashville. And so having to deal with that. Um, and then just like, I had to go through family court and like just had to set up things. And so I ended up signing the deal in 2021. And it, I'm not even lying. Like it was just like a dream come true. Like it was absolutely everything that I've ever wanted. And I would literally, I used to sit in my room and just daydream about me even just being able to tell people that I signed to Atlantic or like that I got the deal or that like even I used to just imagine them like offering it to me or or me being able to sign it like that was something that I just had like thought about and just had wanted so badly for so long so it was just very exciting that that actually happened. Well in this segment what would Pete Gambarg the president of Atlantic and your A&R guy, uh, what would Pete Gambarg ask Gail on And The Writer is, he asks, he says, I literally just found out that you have a rare phenomenon of synesthesia that allows you to see colors in the music you listen to. How does that inform and influence your songwriting? Mm, that's a good question. So I have chromesthesia, so it's basically like any music I listen to is like is a color. And I don't know how to like explain it. It's really not that like fancy, but it's literally just like a square box in my brain and I just see a color. Crazy. Um, and it's it's what somebody actually once asked me if it's this what's first, the song or the color. And I wish I could see a color and then just like think of a song. Life would be so much easier if I just like looked at blue and then I was like you know but unfortunately that's not how it works it's weird because like it actually really affects it a lot because there's times where I like songs and I even like the production and I don't like the color and it drives me crazy because that means there's always just something I don't like about it but like there's no reason for me to like not like it other than the fact that I'm like it's like I just don't like that type of yellow and it's like, shut yeah. up. <laughs> like, that's annoying. Um, or even like there's times where I, I like, I'm completely ignoring it. But the fact that ABC was always red. 
Like it was always red. That was always a red song. It was red. And then Pete Nappy put production on it that was green and I'm ignoring it and I don't tell anybody. And I'm just like, no, it's a red song. It's not changing. It is what it is. Even the single cover is still black, but it, I still say it's red. It's just, it is, it is. It's so green, but it's not anymore. It's just going to be red. That's, <laughs> um, that's amazing. And that's just my stubbornness. I definitely remember somebody in a session saying, like, can you make it more yellow? And being like, I don't. I don't. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how to do that. And I don't know. Is do you have you worked with other people who have that? And do do they all see the same color when they you know, does uh, do other people hear ABC as green or red? No nobody particularly that I worked with with ABC had chromesthesia or synesthesia that I know of. I should probably not be an asshole and ask. Um, But no, I haven't particularly worked with anybody that I know of that has like chromesthesia or synesthesia. Um, But I do know somebody that I worked with that sees things in shapes, which I think is really interesting. Like every song has like a shape to them that always like comes up or even like every line or things has a shape. And I think sometimes the shapes can have colors. So that was really cool. I was like, that's sick. Um, all right. So uh, let's go to ABC a little bit. Uh, obviously there's, you've done a million interviews now about it, but you know, your brother says that he's like, you know, I don't hate all your music. That's a start. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, at this time, you're signed to Atlantic, so there's probably some sort of structure around it. Everyone probably likes the song. The song sounds amazing, so for sure, everyone is you know it's mixed well, it's produced mm-hmm. well, you know, Thank you. it's it's ready for this moment. But I mean, all of us have you know all of us have songs that have come out and 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 uh, they do pretty well, and we're all stoked. This is such a different level of of a success. Tell me about, like, uh, one, the emotional part of watching a song take off. Tell me about the story of, like, what what it is from the minute you release it, you know, and how mm-hmm. much you're, like, staring at how many people are sharing it and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, even the song, like, I wrote ABC before I got signed to Atlantic, but there was no production on it before I got signed. And after, like, there is... I, it kind of got official, like the deal was like in January of 2021. And um, it literally took months and months and months to like get ABC done. It took so many producers. Like I want to say probably it's like seven or nine producers. And like per producer, they probably did three to 20 versions of ABC. Like I've, I know producers that have literally done like over 18 versions. Um and Pete Nappy was like the last person we went to. And not even like these producers, like it's not that they weren't talented and it's it just like, it just wasn't doing what we needed for the song. Um, and and they were making it all, they were making all sorts of yellow and um, the, oh they're my making gosh, they were- <laughs> all, all the things. Well, in, even in the alternate versions of ABC, what, this song is, oh, that's the cutest dog ever. Oh my gosh. Okay. Sorry. I feel like he's <laughs> sitting at my feet and being the lyric of the chorus. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, yeah, you know, people please. can't see this, but he's just going to join for a little bit. Okay. So keep going. Um, 
And even like every, with the alternate versions we did of ABC, what this color of the song is, is what the single color, cover art is. So like the chill version's purple. So then the single cover's purple um, and all of that. But, and then I made the demo green, even though, so then I can say that the first version is red, but it's not, but it's fine. We won't talk about it. It's fine. Um, but it was, you know, like it came out and I had 12,000 monthly listeners before ABC came out. I, How many? 12,000. Okay. And then I had a song over a year get 500,000 streams. And I had like 10,000 Instagram followers. 10.6, if I'm going to be like super specific, you know? And like, I was good with it. Like, I also like with Atlantic, like I understood the fact that I was like a baby artist. I was like a 17-year-old girl. So they weren't necessarily going to put like all of their eggs in one basket for this release and like I knew that and like I and I remember like three months after it came out it was like three or four months I can't remember um and it had like three million streams and for me compared to what I did last time I was stoked like I was so happy I even remember when I had a million monthly listeners like I was so excited and I remember I like posted a few TikToks of ABC. I posted a few TikToks of ABC before ABC even came out. Nothing happened with them. I think they maybe got 200 views, maybe. And then um, I posted one video of me duetting a comment and it almost got like a million views. Uh, like that was like the most attraction on TikTok that I'd ever gotten ever. And um, it just like, it still didn't make anybody, I feel like the biggest transition that really like, just put everything running in a different level was people using the audio of ABC on TikTok. It wasn't necessarily people like viewing me talking about the song. It was people finding out about it through the videos that people were making. And like, I'd asked people to make videos to ABC. But the thing is, is like, I couldn't get anybody to like cross the line. Like I couldn't get anybody to shit talk their ex-boyfriend. I couldn't get anybody to like really like do things that were actually like watchable or like actually interesting um and so like any videos I asked people to make like they didn't really do that great and I just remember I was on tour I was on tour with this band Winneka Bowling League they're absolutely amazing it's like Matthew Coma's band they're awesome and um I was looking I was in my hotel room and I was looking and I was on the phone with my best friend Sarah Davis and who I wrote ABC with and like we're sitting and we're talking and we're just like that's weird. The videos have gone up. Like, I remember it was like a thousand videos for me. And for her, it said it was 3000. And I was like, huh, like, that's weird. But I wasn't really thinking anything of it because also I was like, there's no way. There's literally no way that like anything's happening with this. I've tried so hard. Nothing's happened. This song's been out for a couple months. Like, I'm so good with where it is. The last thing I want to do is try and like hype myself up to think anything's happening with it on TikTok. Cause like, especially when you're an artist and you've been trying to like make a trend for a song or been trying to push yourself for literally a, a year and a half, almost every day. It's like, you get very aware when things have the possibility of like becoming something, but because they had the possibility of happening, maybe possibly, and then they don't happen. I just stopped thinking that way or like getting my hopes up. And then the next day, it still said a thousand videos for me. And I asked Sarah the next day and she was like, it's at like 5,000. And I was like, what is, what is going on? And then I looked and it was all like sign language. Like people were just putting sign language to ABC. 
And like, it was literally just every single video. And then people in the caption started going like, this trend made me touch up on my ASL or this trend needs, needs me to teach people ASL because I need to be a lot better. Like I just kept saying, and then all of a sudden I started like rumors just started going around, which was like really funny how it kind of helped push the song or like somebody made a rumor that I dated Jake. I now learned how to pronounce his last name, uh, Gyllenhaal. Like I had dated Jake Gyllenhaal and then I wrote ABC about Taylor Swift. And like, I literally just had to be like, bro, I dated somebody that got fired from a coffee shop for hooking up with one of his coworkers, like, and bought a car off Craigslist that worked for less than 24 hours. Like, I don't know what, like, I'm not, I'm not sitting here dating Jake Gyllenhaal or I'm not sitting here being best friends with Taylor Swift. But I love to be absolutely but I know, like, I'm not sitting here being like, what's up, Taylor? Like, no, you know? And then, like, it just kind of, like, all... Then people started breaking plates to it. And then once it started doing well on TikTok, it kind of, like, switched over to Instagram Reels. Like, I started, like, posting... St- I was posting this thing where just I was putting ABC stickers everywhere just because, like, it was a fun content piece. And, like, I really loved seeing the scenery and aesthetically. I just kind of liked how it looked on my feed. And so I was doing that. And then those videos started getting, like, a million views. And then one started getting three million views. And it was with the ABC audio. And then people started, like, I remember somebody posted a video of a boat and it got 15 million views. And it was just, like, a photo. It was a video of a boat, like, and it, it, nothing was interesting going on. It was just, and it got 15 million views. And then like, honestly, the highest views started getting on reels. That started doing more. It kind of went over to TikTok. That started happening more. People started making videos on the audio. And then like, I remember in a month, it got a hundred million streams. And that was the thing that was the most ridiculous. Like that was the craziest thing to me. Cause at one point, like literally it had 7 million streams and I was like that's awesome like I'm stoked I was so excited and then a month later exactly a month later it had 107 million and like that month was like the craziest thing because it was just like what is happening like what is going on who is seeing this how are they seeing this like especially when like things just started popping up on viral charts in different places and it was just like why like what's going on and I think one thing that's also really interesting about social media is how like international it can be. Like it's not always necessarily in like one spot or you can have like something on YouTube do really well in South Korea, but then like you can have something that does well in Taiwan or you can have something that does well in like Paris. Like it just like literally it has access to the whole world, you know? Um, and so that was kind of like the process of ABC. Like when I really noticed that it started like, I still, like, it's hard because, like, I'm still trying to comprehend everything that's happened. And even, like, admitting that the song is successful is still something that's difficult for me. Especially, like, I'm so used to doing the grind and, like, nothing happening. Which I was good with. Like, I was good with. But now that something actually happened, it's hard to, like, acknowledge the fact that something actually happened. You know? Um, Or even the fact that it, like, went number one on top 40 radio. Like, I still can barely be like, it's a hit song. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, like, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird that the songwriter PTSD is so real. The years of of songwriters who just very... This is a good example of how long it's taken you. That you have the PTSD, you're young, but... 
you're very experienced. And so you've had 10 years of disappointments, you know, like that, that, that's like what you genuinely need to be, um, to handle it well. If mm-hmm. you were successful right away, you would not be handling it with such grace. But I think yeah. because you're experiencing it in real time, but your peers, a lot of them are older, and a mm-hmm. lot of them have gone with you for many years, even if they're the same age. But you're not surrounded by, um, you're not surrounded by a bunch of people where it it happened to be some viral video because you just happened to write it. Like yesterday, you wrote that <laughs> over. It took years. It took nine, seven to nine producers or whatever. It took all mm-hmm. those versions to make it sound as good as it is. Um, but I, I love the idea that how many of us have tried to make a song go viral, and you cannot make um, you cannot make a song knowing that. People who do American Sign Language are going to use it as some sort of anthem. Um, I know this is your story and not mine, but I, you know, when they they went out with my house for Flow Rider and, and no radio would play it, and it wasn't really doing anything. It just wasn't <laughs> a single, really. Like it, it was the third song. It wasn't really. It just wasn't a thing. But because of fraternities and sororities on during rush week started using welcome to my house, that all of a sudden, you know, it it would spike on weekends because during the beginning of school, all these colleges started using it and it bled out from there. And nobody writes a song with the idea of these random niches are gonna own this. I mean, yeah. yours actually, like, you know, uh, the idea of of bringing ASL to uh, the common person is actually altruistic and important, and it has way more meaning to it. So, kudos on that. <laughs> you know, Thank it's you. amazing. Um, your second song with. On this EP that comes out, I believe tonight. Oh my God! Yes, it does. Holy shit! No, sorry. I mean, it's, I know, I woo. know this isn't gonna, I know this isn't gonna air tomorrow. But first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Are you, are you excited? Or are you nervous? I, it's a little bit of both. I haven't released an EP for Under Gale like ever, so it's just like. What do you so mean? What did exciting. you release it on before? When you say under Gale, uh, well, okay, I've like I started music under Taylor Gale, like my real name's Taylor, but like I started going by Gale at fourteen, and I just kind of like stuck to it, um, and so I definitely released music under Taylor Gale before. But is it still yeah. available? Is that when, available? Like, can people oh, stream absolutely that? Absolutely not. It is off the internet. People can probably stream it just because, like, I know people that have downloaded the EP, and that's like still on their you know, on their Spotify, or I still have it on my iTunes because I bought my EP on iTunes. Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, I mean, I could be like, this is the only EP I've released ever, but that would be a lie. And I try my best not to lie. So, um, It it all comes out anyway, so you might as well. Um, Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. Tell me, um, uh, You're Just Horny is your second song, um, it seems like 
the first two singles, and I, I the whole EP is not available yet for me to listen to. But um, are you able? Are these coming from actual relationships that you're having with people? Oh yeah, I mean, like ABC was about my ex boyfriend, and it's so funny because like like there's a song called Kitty Pool, and basically like the hook of it is like don't want kitty pools, I'm a fool, I want oceans. And it's basically mm. about like falling in love with somebody and like wanting to know everything about them. And there's type, there's like the beginning um, is like, I have my leave you before you leave me type of mentality where it's like, I'm always aware of people trying to leave me or like, I'm always aware of people trying to like feel like I'm not enough or too much. And it's a very intimidating thing to say that you want to fall in love with somebody. And when you're saying that I want you to fall, I want to fall in love with you, it's also kind of saying I want you to fall in love with me, you know? And so Kitty Pool was kind of capturing that thought process. But I wrote that song by the same person I wrote ABC about. So there's, there's like a range of emotions. Like I'm literally being like, I'm in love with you. I love you so much. You're amazing. I want every single part of you. And then I'm like, fuck you and your mom and your sister and your job. Like, you know, because even for ABC to happen, like I had to love that person so much to even have the possibility of being that angry at them and then i have another song called sleeping with my friends and i feel like it's almost like the prequel for you're just horny like i went through this point and period in my life like where i was just going through the motions and then specifically even just like sexually i just was and so i just did things that sometimes i was like why did i do that and then there's one specific instance where like I crossed the line on a friendship and they just started treating me differently afterwards. And like, I just really felt like I fucked up a friendship like bad. And it just like hurt me so badly. Like I was so hurt and I was so sad over it. And then I got really mad about it. And so like sleeping with my friends was the point where I was like, I felt like it was my fault. Like I was self-destructive. I was romanticizing things. I was putting, seeing things that weren't actually there. And then, like, with You're Just Horny, I was like, no, you kind of, like, also took advantage of our friendship to be able to do that. Like, yeah, I was kind of a trophy to you. And then the second you got it, I was less interesting. And maybe that's why you started treating me differently. Not that it was, like, all completely my fault. And I kind of had to go through that process to even, like, get to You're Just Horny. Um, and then I re-release, I'm re-releasing a song called Z that I did in 2020. Um, it's now coming out with a feature of Upsaw and Blue the Tiger. And I'm really excited about that because I absolutely adore and love those two artists. And I've yeah. loved them even before I put out ABC. Um, and so it's just really, really exciting. And I've now renamed the song EZ, where it's like E and dash Z. And then um, I have a song that's going to be the lead single. It's called Love Starved. And it's basically like I... And it's, it's the first song that starts off the project because it kind of has a general consensus of like my perspective and like why I do the things I do and, and it's like I don't know the difference between somebody actually loving me or just giving me attention or like I don't know if somebody's actually nice to me or if I just have low standards like I do not know how I should be treated like I'm and I'm trying to learn but like I don't know and I don't know what's the bare minimum or not like I literally don't know what to expect from people like if I get the bare minimum of people being nice to me I'm like they're so nice and it's like no they're literally giving you the bare minimum and like I don't know and like I'm trying to learn it's just like one of those things where like I can get so love starved like I don't know if they're actually being nice to me or just giving me the bare minimum or if they actually love me or if they're just giving me attention and like that can be a really difficult thing and then somebody came into my life that I just didn't want 
to push away or be scared of that. And so that was just kind of what that song's about. And it kind of just has the overall theme of the project. Um, are you currently in love? No, I'm not. I mean, like, I have been single for like over a year and it's been something that I feel like has been really healthy for me. And, you know, like I, there's also times where it's like, can I be creative when I'm like not with somebody or can I be creative when I'm happy with somebody? And um, I, I now really know that like I can do things by myself and that's really nice to like know that. Um, did you write everything with Sarah Davis? I did not. I wrote specifically with this project. I wrote a lot of stuff with Sarah Davis. So like, I wrote "You're Just Horny" with her. I wrote "ABC DEFU" with her. I wrote "Kitty Pool" with her, and I wrote "Love Starved" with her. But then "Sleeping with My Friends" and "Z" I wrote without her. Um, we're gonna go to this next segment, five for five. I'll list five things, and you just tell me the first thing that comes off the top of your head. Let's do um, it. Let's start with let's start with Sarah Davis. She's your main collaborator. Work wife, love of my life. That's my girl. Uh, Pete Gambarg. Ooh, Papa Pete. That's what I call him to make him less scary to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, Aretha Franklin. Who idol? She's an idol. That's the first like that or icon is like the first two words that pop into my head. Cara Diaguardi. Uh, Cara Bear. She'd probably kill me for saying that out loud, but I call her Cara Bear. Again, make her less scary. Your mom. My mom. Aww. Um, oh, gosh, my mom. There's so many things. Um, protect her. She protects me a lot and, like, a supporter. She supports everything I do, and she tries to protect me from all the people who tell me I can't do it. So very grateful for her. Well... Thank you for doing this podcast. Uh, I've said a lot of things already, but you're obviously a, a very smart woman, and ha- you know you don't really have to, you know, protect be protected too much because I think the minute people <laughs> actually listen to you and they pay attention to how eloquent you are, not just in uh, the way you speak in a conversation, but also in the way that you write lyric twists, you know, clearly. You come from a school where you respect songwriter and songwriters and songwriting and the art form of of it. And I think you're coming at this whole industry with a really healthy perspective. And I get the feeling we'll be having a lot of these conversations over the next couple of years. But um, this is a really good first first one. So thank you. Thank you so much. This is actually genuinely a dream come true to be doing this. I cannot tell you how many times I've imagined to be on this podcast. So it truly is an honor. And I hope to be seeing you and having more conversations with you again. Thank you for having Perfect. me. There you go. This episode is produced by Joe London, Hypnosis, Mega House Management, and myself. Shout out Paige McDonald, Kelly Fox, Casey Robinson, David Silberstein, Tim Kirchin, Zach Weinstein. See you all next week. I'm Ross Golan, signing off. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 